we're doing a series called Be the Church. We're well into it now, as you can see, if you're looking at the slide there. This, this is week number 19. And I will eventually wrap it up. I don't know when yet, but, but eventually we'll finish this one and we'll start with something else. Um, but this is about being the church. And so it's important that we get this. We have a tendency to think of church as something that we do. And we sort of compartmentalize our lives. But the, the reality is, as believers in Christ, we are the church. We're the church now gathered corporately. When you leave the facility here in a little while, you're still going to be the church. You'll just be the church on mission. And so we need to think of it that way. And, and that makes it about people. And then because it's about people, it's ultimately about our relationships um, with God and with one another and with the future people of God. And so we've been talking about those things. And right now we're sort of talking about our relationship with the future people of God. And we'll, we'll sort of give that the term mission, our mission. And uh, we introduced it last week by talking about loving our neighbors, ourselves, and what that means. And if you remember, I said I wanted to challenge you uh, over these next couple of weeks to um, really look at the way that we think and see things, uh, think about and see things. And that we need to have Jesus' perspective, uh, a kingdom perspective. And so we, we need to challenge some of the ways that we see and think about different things and events. And, and so today, we're going to talk about agape love. And what that means, and this is sort of a good starting point for that. So we'll get into that in just a moment. So that's the intro. Transition, always a bad joke or two. Uh, and so as someone that's been telling bad jokes for the last 20 plus years, um, people send me bad jokes all the time, which I appreciate because I always need more. And uh, these, But sometimes they're worse than even the ones I tell. So I wanted to give you a couple of examples. Why didn't the skeleton, why didn't the skeleton cross the road? He didn't have the guts. Here's another one. How do you fix a broken pumpkin? Pumpkin patch. These are bad, right? So just so you know, I'm dealing with that. This is, this is the one I had. Parallel lines have so much in common. It's a shame that they'll never meet. It's a math law joke. So I knew it was going to... There's a certain group that really likes that joke. Those who remember their principles of math. Okay. And apologies to the visitors for that, but there you go. Scripture reading, it gets much better from here. And I have better material. This is John 3, 16 and 17. Most of you will know this passage. This is a perhaps one of the best known Bible passages there is. But we're going to look at it today in the context from how it came about. All right. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And blessed be the word of God the Lord. Now that passage comes out of an encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And, 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 and it means something when you look at it. It means something all the time. But when you look at it in the context of that encounter. So I want to talk about that encounter today with you and another encounter that Jesus has with the woman at the well. And so we're going to be spending most of our time in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. Uh, and it's neat how under the um, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John puts these stories together because they, they come to the same point, these, these encounters, and that we need to see them in the context of what's going on. And, and I want to be using the lens for that of agape love. And so that's point number one in your notes, understanding agape love. What does that mean? Why am I saying that word? And uh, 
if you've heard it, you, you probably have. And if not, then let me try and explain it to you. So, uh, in, in the Bible, uh, New Testament particularly, is written in Greek for the most part. And um, they have, in the Greek language, there's quite a few different words for love. Uh, we only have one word, and so we use the word all the time for love. But in, in the Bible, that word is being changed all the time. And so you need to sort of have an understanding of what's going on. And the types of love that we're most common, uh, that we're most used to culturally, are, are known as philia and eros. Uh, and philia is sort of the friendship or the familial love. It's the love that families have, the love that friends have uh, in, in that whole process. And eros would be the love of desire uh, that, that sort of speaks for itself in that whole process. And both of those types of love are, are good. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. And they're, they're important in the context of our lives. But they have this thing in common that at some level, they're still both about me. All right? Um, and it's not that there's not great concern and care and affection and all those other things for the, the beloved, if you would, in this context. But there's something out of that comes back at me. There's something in the, the, um, in the beloved that's desirable enough and, and important enough to me that I'm concerned. And yet there's something coming back in my direction. And that's kind of how those loves sort of work. And they're fantastic. Uh, we love them. We had, we had time this week, um, this weekend, yesterday, with the two of our grandkids. Well, the whole family was there. But the two twins, Madeline and Margaret, turned three this week. And so the family was there, and they're very cute. And they're great. I mean, they're, they're a lot of fun. They're hard to... They have, and it's so cool because they're identical twins, but they have such different personalities. And it's fun just to watch them interact with others and interact amongst themselves. But apparently they don't like singing. And here's how that comes about. So uh, we were having a very nice little meal, and it was time for the birthday cake whole process. Well, first we did the gifts. They did the gifts, and and um, it was so, so. Alice and I had had bought um, we we bought them a couple of toys, but we bought them some clothes. And um, I think it was Margaret was going through the bag of clothes, and she would she would pick a, a an outfit out of the bag and then throw it over her shoulder, and then she went for another one, and she'd get that out of the way. So she went through the whole bag doing this thing with clothes, which is really funny, right? Because you get it, and when you're three, it's like clothes, and. Uh, and so we had that. So it was time for the cake, and we put them in their high chairs right next to each other, and we, we had the cake ready to go, and we started to sing Happy Birthday, which is what you sing on a birthday celebration. Well, they do not care for singing at all. They don't like it. And so they went from being pretty happy to having complete meltdowns simultaneously next to each other in the high chairs. I mean, and these were, they were pinned in. They, they were saying no in as about a big a way as you could say no, stop singing. But we didn't, of course, because at some level it's cute to watch them protesting. And... Uh, and, and towards the end, and I'm standing over there right next to him, and Madeline is there, and she looks at me, and she has a sippy cup, and I think she might be a baseball player in the future, because she whips it right at me. She misses me, but it makes it even funnier. But here's, here's what we love. We finally get through that, and, and, and then the, the cake is put in front of both of them, and they immediately change again to like, ah, cake, yay. Life is really good. Okay. Well, all that interaction, that's, that's filial. That's the love of families and friends getting together and enjoying that time. And we certainly care all about them. But there's something in that whole process that comes back at us, okay? We had, um, uh, this last couple of weeks, my other, my grandson on the, uh, one of my grandsons on the other side of the family, I know it's coming, Reed. And uh, Reed is four. And Reed recently discovered that if uh, there are certain times when he can get access to his mother's uh, iPad without her knowing and he gets the iPad and he calls me on it 
And I, I'm looking at the, because his phone's ringing at weird times, and I'm like, it's because Kimberly, that's unusual, because it's not, that wouldn't be a normal sort of thing. And I, I answer it, and it's been Reed lately. Hi, Granddad. And he's four, and he's not a great phone conversationalist. And, uh, and neither am I, so they fall apart real quick. But I get the biggest kick out of it because I know he knows he shouldn't be doing it. Because, like, sometimes you'll call and he'll be like, Hi, Granddad. <laughs> like he's in a corner. Hi, Granddad. I'm like, you, you've, you've taken your mom's iPad. Yeah, but it's October, kind of what he says to me. And, uh, <laughs> okay, so what? But again, so... But it's just cute, and, and you know, I, I know that he, sh- and, and so it's this cute, that, that's all that sort of love thing, and I'm, I'm enjoying it, so there, you, you get that it's good, but there's, there's something in me as, as well as loving on them. Okay, so agape love, which is the love that we're supposed to be experiencing as Christians, is different, because it's not about what comes back at me. Agape love is, is all about you in that context. It's got nothing to do with what comes back at me. It's about you in, in the whole journey. Uh, the, uh, look at this in 1 John 4.10. Because Jesus models this for us so perfectly. He says at the cross, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. He loved us. He sent his son. It was all about us. He was it's movement towards us that is a picture of agape love. And so agape love has to do with the mind. That's what we need to see. It's not simply an emotion which rises out of the heart. Um, it's a principle by which we deliberately live. We choose to uh, move in this idea of agape love into the people around us. And so I want to just jump into two encounters that Jesus has, as I said, and we're going to see agape love at work and what it looks like and how amazing it is and how it changes people. And, and as we go through these, let me encourage you, when you're hearing the Bible and you're reading the Bible and you're studying the Bible and you're doing all these things, ask the Holy Spirit to help um, what you're reading and hearing and doing all, to change you. See, too often we read it and we don't, we don't get to that spot and so we're seeing these things, but they don't really change us. We need to be changed in these areas so we see and think more like Jesus. So let's talk first about Nicodemus. Point number two, Nicodemus. The Bible introduces him very well. Chapter 3 of John, verse 1. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God... We're not with him. So in, in some ways, Nicodemus sort of represents the best of the nation. He was a teacher. He's a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, which is a Jewish ruling council. Uh, so he has great position and great power and great stature. And he's aware of what Jesus is doing. And it, he sees that it's significant. And so he wants to move in that direction. And yet you have to know right off the bat that he's only going to go to Jesus. So under the cover of darkness. Because he doesn't want everybody else to know. So he sneaks in at night. And, and Jesus sees this as an opportunity to speak to Nicodemus uh, the truth in love. Look what happens. Verse 3. In reply, Jesus declares, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, 
No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So, so you understand that's why the, the idea of being uh, born again or born from above or spiritually born comes in. Um, we're born the first time flesh gives birth to flesh, but, but we're not truly alive until we're spiritually born. And that happens when we come to know Jesus Christ. What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, who's a deeply religious person, a very important stature, that what he has is not enough when it comes to the kingdom of God. Unless we repent and come to Christ, we can't access the kingdom of God. And so it's not about our religious works or our political power or our position in society. It's always about His grace. Always. And Jesus, in this agape love moment, is finding ways to give hope to Nicodemus. They also have to know, I want to make sure I point out here, that, that Nicodemus goes to Jesus. Jesus was living life in such a way, and it's important for us, he's modeling life, that it's attracting people to him, and they ask him these big life questions, and then he can speak into them. And so that's why I'm always encouraging us. We need to live in a way that makes a difference. Uh, and, and it's a real way. It's, a, it's an attractive way. It's not a fake way or a pious way or a pretend way. It's us living, trying to do the next right thing, sometimes being successful, sometimes not, but just moving into this world in that sort of love thing. And in this instance, in this encounter now, Jesus is using that whole process to try and love Nicodemus into the kingdom by getting him to see he's not going to make it in his own righteousness. And that's where our passage from this morning pops in, the one that everybody knows so well. For God, John 3.16, so loved the world, Jesus tells this to Nicodemus, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He's, he's having to sort of turn on end everything that Nicodemus believes by the law being the way to salvation and telling him that's not what it's all about at all, that God has made a way at the cross in Christ for those of us who've sinned, which is all of us, to be restored, reconciled into relationship with God. And that God's purpose in sending his son is to save, not to condemn the world. Because the, the structure that Nicodemus was under was condemning the world. And Jesus has to undo it all in this whole process. And so Jesus is offering hope of life to Nicodemus by sharing with him the good news, which we talk about here all the time, that God has made a way in Christ. And he's sharing the whole concept of grace to a religious person who had only ever known the law. So you need to see that's what's happening. And this, this has an impact on Nicodemus. We can see it if we follow the story. I have to move quickly through the story to get there. But if you jump ahead a little bit in John uh, 7, verse 50, it says this. Uh, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, um, was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out? what he's been doing and so he sticks his neck out here for jesus because the pharisees are just trying to trap jesus at this point in a restroom and have him killed because they don't like the package even though they've seen that it's got to be god doing it but they don't want anything to do with it he sticks his neck out and says you, you can't with that you know there's a process and then again at the end of the story in john after jesus has been crucified and he's there and his body is there on the cross Joseph of Arimathea is going to go to the body to do something. But there's somebody else who shows up in this story that you need to see. Remember the one who snuck in at night? 
He's not sneaking around anymore. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier has visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. You're not sneaking around carrying 75 pounds of spices. It's a very public display of what's going on in this process. And I always think about this. I'm always so glad for this because Jesus' friends had all left at this point. They just didn't know what was coming on anymore. They're, I'm so glad that he was there to minister to the broken body of Jesus at that point in time. It always touches me when that happens. He's taken Jesus' body. The two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. So I think Nicodemus really gets it in this process. And And the next story is about the Samaritan woman. And There's going to be a contrast here between two people. One who is sort of the person who's got it all together and who thinks they're doing good and that that they're all good with God because they do everything well and they're just a nice person. And then we're going to meet another person who's at the other end of that spectrum. I really identify with this person more, the woman at the well, and we'll see why. But you need to see uh, that, that both of them are broken, right? And Jesus had ministered to one end of this whole sort of spectrum, and now he's going to go to the other with the Samaritan woman. That's point number three. So uh, the, the Samaritan woman, also known as the woman of the well, what you need to know about her is that um, her people are outcast. The Samaritans are not um, looked favorably upon by the people of God at that point in time. Uh, they're disdained, for, uh, as, as a matter of fact. And so not only is she in an outcast group, she's also within her group an outcast. And we know that because she's at the well all by herself. And culturally, that wouldn't have happened. All the women would have gone to that well at the same time. It would have been a big social thing. There would have been safety that way. And it was how things would have gone. But she's going to the well by herself because she's an outcast within her own group. So she's an outcast within a group of outcasts. And let's look at this encounter here for the next, just a few more minutes. John 4, 4 through 6. Now, it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. That's significant because the people at that point in time, the Jews would always move all the way around Samaria. They would never walk through it for any reason because they, they didn't care for the Jews. Jesus, it says, had to go. Why did he have to go? Because he was going to meet a woman at the well. And because God cares about one more person and makes these miraculous things happen all the time. So you need to see that. So he came to a, a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So the woman shows up. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you only knew the gift of God, living water, eternal life, grace, and all that you need to do is ask and he will give it to you. And and here we have Jesus telling this woman, just the way that he did with Nicodemus, that God's dealings with humanity are on the basis of grace. Our relationship with God is not about what we do, but on what God is willing to do for us. And that's this picture of agape that we need to see in the process. Because Jesus knows all about this woman, filled with the Holy Spirit. He knows all about who she is. And I love this. It goes on verse 16. And he, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. 
The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. I love her response. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Why do I love that? Well, you ever been just completely caught by Jesus? You know what I mean? And you've got nothing. You've got no defense. You got, you're just kind of like, yeah, that's me. You got me. But he loves her. So you've got to see that. He loves people so much. And that's this agape love. It doesn't put labels on people because it's, it's not about what's coming back at us. It's just about knowing the, the need that, that people have. We have a tendency to judge people, you know, based on our stereotypes and our customs and prejudices and all those things. But Jesus treats people as individuals, always seeing the beauty of their potential. And he treats them with love and compassion. And he just offers to them exactly what they need to be restored into relationship with God. Because that's what he wants. See, we have to think like Jesus to get that. Look what happens, verse 23. Look what he starts to talk about Jesus. Yet a time is coming, he says, and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in Spirit and in truth. Now, this is wild why he's talking to her about this whole process. He could. In the encounter with Nicodemus, Jesus really stresses the fact that all stand condemned before God. With a religious person who really thought he had it all together, he had to speak to him about, no, no, you, you can't get there. But, but with this woman who was aware of the fact that she was a, a broken mess, that she was a sinner, he doesn't talk to her about condemnation at all. He talks to her about worship. Why? Nicodemus needed to see himself as a sinner in order to understand grace. But the one who already recognized the fact that she was a sinner, she needed to see herself as a person of value and worth in the eyes of God so that she could be welcomed into the kingdom. See, that's the difference that this agape love carries with it. Uh, and, and it's knowing how to just move into that whole process that makes a difference. Look what happens to her. Verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I am the one, I, the one speaking to you. I am he. I love this next verse, 28. Then leaving her water jar. You could, you might skip over that if you're not paying attention. Remember, she's gone to get water. She needed water. And now she's leaving her water jar. Why? She got something better than water. She got living water. She, she got something so much better than what she went for, she forgot about even why she went. And this woman, who's an outcast, runs back to the people who have been treating her badly. And she goes and she starts telling them about Jesus. And guess what? Revival happens. Sparks out. She goes from being outcast to like this leading evangelist in her city, just like that, because of this encounter that she has with Jesus. Her life is changed dramatically in the whole process. And, and, and so we need to see it. They came out of the town, it says, and they made their way toward him. They went to Jesus. They were drawn because of what happens look his grace the grace of God says to each one of us no matter where we are on the Nicodemus Samaritan woman spectrum that you count that you matter that I want to be in relationship with you whatever that takes in the process you'll never get there on your good works that won't work for you but you're not so far gone that you can't get in See, that's the heart that God has for people. And isn't it, you think about it, in every encounter, isn't everyone worth inviting to come and know Jesus? Everyone. And that's how he wants us to live this thing. I have a friend that said, Jesus knows what we need, and he loves us enough to help us find it. And that's a great picture. I'm, I'm hoping you'll think about those encounters this week and what that means. And, and 
just the different ways he moved and what agape looks like. And I, I leave you with this thought about how glad I am. Because I, I would not be on the Nicodemus end of that spectrum by a long shot when I met Jesus. I was way over here. I was at the, the well, broken a mess. And, and yet, when he met me, or I met him, he only noticed and worked at the beauty of my potential, if you would. That, that's where he met me. And he loved me that way. And what he wants is for all of us to sort of get a hold of that, where we came in, and then love people in the same way so that we can make a difference for him and the world around us. We've got more to say about that. We'll pick it up next week. But that's enough for today. Ministry team, those here, why don't you head over to the wall. People over there are here to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything, they'll make sure you get it. Let me pray for you as a group, and then we can get to lunch here in the process because I can smell lunch. And people are looking at me like, I'm hungry. I say, good. Thank you, Papa, for your love for us. You're such an awesome God. And, and, and I pray, Papa, that we would just be able to move in this agape love, the very love that you've loved us with, that we would allow that to flow through us to love others so that we can see people come to know you. And so, God, move in those things in our lives that not only we would be changed, but the world around us would be changed and impacted by you. Bring renewal, revival, and breakthrough to this area that hundreds and thousands of people we come to know you as our Lord and Savior. We pray again today for every church in this area, God, where your word is preached. I ask that you would bless them abundantly with everything they need to fulfill the mission you've given them. We ask for your continued abundant blessing on us, God, to fulfill the mission you've given us of one more. Just one more lost child back to you, Dad. Just one more. Thank you so much for including us in your story here in this time and place. You're such an awesome, awesome God. If you need prayer this morning for anything, the folks over there pray for you. Healing, relationship, problems, finances, situations. In our early prayer time this morning, we felt that there was someone um, with chronic bronchitis, and, and that their name was Jim. And so we've been bringing that out at every service because God made that very well known to us. If it's you or if you're online, let us know. We want to pray for you in that. And I've also felt like we, we need to pray for people who have um, been feeling sort of hopeless. And that, that God just wants to sort of give you a, a brand new sort of shot of hope, if you would. Because He's good, always good, only good, and you can trust Him. And so if you've been struggling with some of that, I'd encourage you to get some prayer as well. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, look, let, let's, let's take care of it. It's humility and faith. And humility is just admitting to God you're broken like all the rest of us. You've sinned. You ask God to forgive you, which you'll do. And then in faith, you invite and accept Jesus into your heart and life as Lord and Savior. If you have never prayed a prayer like that, I want to encourage you to do it now. Best decision you'll ever make. And if you feel like you need help, go over there and ask somebody. Just say to them, I want to know Jesus. They'll know exactly what you, what you need and they'll pray for you. So if you need prayer for that or for anything, I'd encourage you to get it. If you're going to stay and have lunch, Lord, thank you for the food you provided today. Bless that. Everybody that makes it possible. You're such an awesome, awesome God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
and keep you. May His face shine upon you. May He be gracious to you and give you peace. And go today in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. Remember, be thankful for five things. Encourage two people scooping up one lost child back to dad. Prayers over there. Lunch will be in the back. As you go, drive safely. Be kind to one another in the parking lot. Have a great day. Catch some fish. Hope your team wins. See you later. Bye. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.